Um, thank you, Hamish. <laughs> for any of you who are here for the first time, that has literally never happened to you before. I just want you to know. It's very odd, but also a little funny. Um, Man, so, so great. Um, for all of you who are new here tonight, I see a few new faces. Awesome to have you here. See a few parental faces around too. Great to have um, the Gearies here. Um, great to have my mum and dad in the back row there. That's pretty cool too. Um, and um, you'll know because they look like me. Um, and um, and uh, my friend Peter, who's down from Auckland. Great to have you with us tonight, mate. Really special to, to have you here. A couple of things um, just to uh, start up. Um, now, Ben and the crew at the free store just do such an amazing thing, um, and there's going to be an opportunity uh, next year coming up with those guys. Um, some of you may not be in a place where you're up for living community or something like that, um, but Ben and the crew are going to be providing an opportunity for you to really passionately serve the free store um, in kind of, I guess, a not a living way. But, but still a, a really um, formative and powerful way. And, and for those of you, um, I mean, talk to Ben or Alana or any of the crew, but it's not just about us going to do something good for those people in our city who um, are maybe having a rough time, but there's also something that changes in us when we serve. Um, and so, um, yeah, by all means, um, do, do have a chat to Ben afterwards because it would be great to have more people um, a part of that next year. So we are into this little season called Advent. Um, hopefully this is going to take on to the next thing. It's not. That's all right. Um, and Advent invites us um, to wait. Invites us to, to look at waiting and to look at hope. And so there's, there's three different things that we're looking at in Advent. The first of these is the idea that Christ, the most obvious one, that Christ came as the Christ child and that he was not born into some palatial mansion. He was not born with a crown on his head, but he was born amongst the crap and the muck of a stable where there weren't enough rooms um, and he was born into a genocide that he had to flee from. So the saviour of the world who was meant to come on a white horse and slaughter the oppressors of the Jews instead came as a defenceless baby. So Advent invites us to think about Christ coming as the Christ child. Secondly, invites us to think about Christ coming as the Holy Spirit. That as they waited in the upper room after he had gone, that the Spirit came down in tongues of fire and that the person of God ceased to live in temples or in dwellings or in pillars of fire and instead dwelled within each of us and still does. And the third one that we think about in Advent is Christ's second coming in glory. This belief, this totally weird belief that I will talk about later, that we believe that Jesus is coming again. And so today's passage, Mark 13, 26 to 37, is about Jesus coming again. And what I'm going to do is, um, is draw some... Okay, this is not working. You know what? We'll just skip the slides. Don't worry about it. Um, so today's passage is from Mark uh, 13, 26 to 37. And it goes like this. If you want to close your eyes and imagine, sometimes that helps me. It might help you. At that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will give no light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. 
When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. And since you don't know when the time will come, be on guard, stay alert. The coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do. And he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return. In the evening, at midnight, before dawn or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone. Watch for him. So we have this quite powerful scripture here that begins with this picture of Jesus coming again upon the clouds. And then he gives this, these two illustrations to it, these two kind of parables. The first is that we have a fig tree. If you haven't opened your eyes yet, you're most welcome to. Um, and, and this fig tree, and then when the fig tree begins to blossom, the people know that summer is coming. And he says, so stay alert. And then the second example he gives us is that there is a man, there is a, an owner of a household and some land, and he says to his servants, I'm going away, look after it, but be aware, stay alert when I return. And there's this interesting kind of passage. All right, mate, maybe not a good time to talk. Okay? There's an interesting passage in there in verse 30. And it says this, and some of you may have picked up on it. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. And so there's this interesting thing that these things that Jesus is talking about are apparently not meant to happen before any of the people listening to them have gone from the earth. Which is a problem, right? Because we are 2,000 years later. And I think we would be aware if Jesus had returned on a cloud. Um, But a lot of the theologians speak to this as that it was the beginning of the fulfilment of this that would take place in in their life, that the kingdom of God would begin to come, and some would say that's the Holy Spirit. And so I think within this passage, Christ calls us to three things. The first of those is to wait. The second of those is to watch, and the third of those is to stay awake. And we might consider that these are the postures that Christians should take as we await the coming of God now. We're in this interesting holiday season at the moment that doesn't make it easy to assume these postures at all. Rather than to watch for Christ, to anaesthetise ourselves by watching entertainment. Rather than to wait on Christ, to impulsively consume and wait for nothing rather than to stay awake, to be swept up in the fury of consumption and become passive. But I think this season of Advent can become a gift to us if we engage with these three pictures of Christ who came as a baby, Christ who came by his Spirit, and Christ who will come again. That's what Advent is about. So I want to talk to these three things. Firstly, Christ who calls us to wait. One of my favourite scriptures is um, Psalm 130. I want to read a part of that to you now. It says this, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. 
If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. And it's this picture of someone in this kingdom, or the citadel, who has been put up on the wall, and their job is to stand on the wall in the depths and the darkness of night and to look out into the darkness and look for any sign of enemy torches or weapons coming towards them. And I can't quite imagine the anxiety that there would be in that place of just steering from the walls of the city into the darkness of the wilderness beyond and just hoping that nothing appears. This kind of dormant fear laying there all the time. And this passage says, I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. That I wait for you, God, as I wait for dawn to come to know that we will be safe for another day. It's quite a beautiful passage, eh? And when Christ comes, it always seems to be preceded by a time of waiting. We have the waiting for the Christ child, a millennia or two, between prophecies and his arrival. We have the apostles waiting for his resurrection and the coming of the Spirit in the upper room. I think they were there for about a week. And we have this promise of his return, which we have been waiting two millennia for. And there's a couple of reasons, I reckon, why this waiting, this spiritual practice, we don't really get as a generation. The first of those is because as a culture, we're impulsive. And we don't really do waiting. You know, I sometimes like to say that everything has ultimately been sent to us, that we have the iPhone, the MySky, the personal computer, and now the personal Lord and Saviour. That everything must be on our terms. But I think the second reason we as a culture really don't get this is that we're not actually waiting for anything. That very few of us are actually waiting for any kind of salvation or liberation in, in, the, in the middle class wealthy space that we live in. See, the promise of a Messiah made by the prophets was for an, occup- an occupied people who had no political, social or religious freedom. So the idea of a Messiah, the idea that the Christ child would come was huge. And the promise of God's spirit coming to the apostles was 11 guys not waiting, having a Jesus culture prayer prayer time in an upper room. But you remember that one of the things is the door was locked and somehow Jesus comes through the wall. These guys were hiding for their lives. They were part of a religious sect that the government wanted to exterminate. They're like, Jesus, we need you to come. And then the, the promise of Jesus' second coming was made to the early church who were also persecuted. And if you look through the images of Revelation, which have been so misunderstood, you see that the the picture of the dragon there, he has 12 horns, and those 12 horns are the 12 provinces of Rome. And so everything is talking to the suppressed people about how they will overcome the empire that is oppressing them. And so when we arrive at this idea of waiting, and the relative comfort of a Western, consumerist, idolatrous environment, it doesn't really make sense to us anymore. So I would say that to wait well requires us to engage with our own poverty. And it may not be for us that our poverty is on the streets, or it may not be that our poverty is a lack of homes, but that it is a spiritual poverty within many of us. 
Waiting well looks like us rediscovering our spiritual poverty and waiting on God's spirit to come and redeem us. It means admitting our lack, acknowledging what's really going on. This year I've taken on this um, practice called centering prayer. Um, And I don't know how many of you know about centering prayer, but it's kind of like mindfulness, except with Jesus at the centre instead of yourself. Um, And um, and the way... And, uh, and what you do is you spend about 20 minutes with a, a picture or a word or maybe a, a prayer cross in your hand. And every time a thought comes up, you return to what you're holding or you return to the image. And what happens is all your kind of anxieties and your fears just kind of rise to the surface over that time. And you place them back to God. And often God will take me to this place of realisation of my lack within this. I can remember last, uh, earlier this year when I started this, that... Um, I was partway into this time of centering prayer and I felt God lead me to this, this muddy bunker and he said, we're going we're gonna to make a dwelling here for me and it was like, you know, the basement under a house where it's just mud on all sides, no windows and so with Jesus over a few weeks we went through this process of laying down floorboards of putting up wallpaper somehow there were windows eventually But it began at this place of realising my spiritual poverty that there was not a home for Christ within me. Interestingly, the other week, week, when I was praying a similar kind of picture where I was pushing some of these, these thoughts aside, handing them back to God, and I suddenly saw this heart, like God's heart. Um, And the Catholics are quite, quite passionate about this, the sacred heart. And I saw this heart slowly beating and then I saw my own heart, and it was you know, just thumping away. And there was this realization, oh Lord, I am so out of sync with you. That spiritually I am impoverished, and so I sat with God, and gradually my heart rate starts to come down. And I'm realigned to who Christ is. See, Christ calls us to wait, because in the waiting and the quietness and the stillness and the solitude, our spiritual poverty is revealed to a place where we actually genuinely begin to cry out, as an oppressed people might have, Lord, have mercy. Lord, come near to me. And we finally start to actually get what Jesus' coming really means, rather than him being only an accessory to the lives we always wanted to live anyway. Christ calls us to wait. Secondly, Christ calls us to watch. You see in this passage many times it talks about that that sense of seeing, then everyone will see the Son of Man coming, verse 26. When you see all these things taking place, you can know that his return is very near, verse 29. I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him, verse 37. As with the fig tree, where we can identify summer, so we identify Christ's kingdom breaking through, and we celebrate it. But this kingdom, as Christ came as a baby in a manger, and not to fanfare as I got before when I got up here, we realise it doesn't come, that God's kingdom does not come in the ways we expect it to. The pictures we are given by Jesus is of a lost coin in Luke 15. It's of a small seed that no one can see in Matthew 13. It's like yeast working through bread. Again, Matthew 13. It is barely visible, unnoticeable, yet utterly significant in eternity. And I think the thing is that this scripture points us to is the fact that you can miss the arrival of Christ. You can miss it. 
You cannot have eyes to see and you cannot see it. Welcome back, Nate. Yes. There's a particular kind of eyes you need to put on to see the kingdom at work. Matthew 13, 13 to 17, Jesus says this. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seen but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. You see, a whole nation had been waiting a millennia for Christ to come, and yet most people didn't see it when he did. Most people didn't get it. In fact, most put him on a cross. There's one story of another guy named Simeon who was convinced that he would see Jesus before he died. And the story of Simeon in Luke 2.25 goes like this. It says, There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the salvation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought him the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required... Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for mine eyes have seen your salvation. See, many people were expecting Jesus, but not all knew that their eyes had seen salvation. God's salvation is breaking through. God's kingdom is breaking through all over this earth, all over our city, in our homes all the time. But sometimes we don't have the eyes to see it or the ears to hear it. We do this dinner every Monday night in our house where um, a bunch of different people come round. Summer comes round sometimes. Nathan comes round. Bree comes round. A whole bunch of different people come round. And, um, and it often ends up being this beautifully diverse space of, um, of people from really affluent backgrounds, people who are sleeping rough on the street, um, people from, from everywhere in between and of different experiences. And, and when you kind of have that as a rhythm, you generally just begin to kind of take things for granted, that this is just what happens every week. And in some ways you stop seeing the salvation of God at work in the midst of it. And it was just a few weeks ago, I remember, we were just finishing prayers and I looked up and I looked around the room at who was sitting together and I thought, where else but in the kingdom of God do we all sit together? And pray to God, where else do we all come together? In the name of Jesus, you know? And to see those walls and those barriers collapse. And it was this moment of my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. You see, what we see this Christmas is not going to be found in windows displays. It's not going to be found on Saturday or Sunday night kids movies. It's not going to be found in your second or third helping of ham. In Advent, there is an invitation to avert our eyes from that which distracts us and to look for hope where it really comes from. And to give God glory for it and to say to our friends, our family and our colleagues, my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. Have yours. 
Jesus calls us to wait. Jesus calls us to watch. And then finally, Jesus calls us to stay awake. Verse 33, stay alert. Verse 37, don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. And you know the weirdest thing I think we believe as Christians, which we talk about more and more, does anyone know what the weirdest thing is we believe? The weirdest thing we believe, and I really believe this is going to be in the next few years, the difference between those who believe Jesus is who he said he is and those who want to follow the social ethic of a man named Jesus. We believe Jesus is coming again. That is a crazy belief. That is an absolutely insane belief to hold. That is an uncomfortable belief that we believe this Messiah who came 2,033 years ago or whatever, that he died on a cross, that he ascended into heaven, that he came down again, that he left his spirit, and now some 2,000 years or more later, he is going to return to this earth. And that is not newfangled theology. This is in the depths of the apostles and the Nicene Creed. This is what we have believed as the people of God for hundreds, for thousands of years that Jesus is coming again. That's a weird thought, right? Is that not a weird thought? Like this is the stuff who people who don't follow Jesus must look at us and go, you guys are totally off the deep end. And yet it is what we believe. And so in this passage, Christ implores his people, live as if I am coming in glory at any moment. Not in fear, but live as if you believe that Jesus is coming to make all things right any moment from now. That's pretty exciting. So Jesus says, stay awake. Make sure your faith is white hot. And so how do we stay awake? Well, Christ came, I believe, to lead us into supreme reality. So to stay awake is to resist those things which anaesthetise us from reality, firstly. And secondly, it's to embrace those things that allow us to see ourselves, the world and God as they truly are. Jesus would call these the difference between darkness and light. Darkness that obscures our vision, light which reveals all. Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 to 11. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just in fact as you are doing. So he says, we are not a sleeping people. That's one of the things that marks the people of God. We are not a slumbering people. You might say, 
that sin is that which rocks us to sleep in a false sense of security. That sin is that which rocks us to sleep in a false sense of security, (coughs) telling us that the world is not the way it actually is. And righteousness is that which is awakening us to true reality in all its pain and beauty. Christ says in this passage, stay alert, stay awake. And so the season of Christmas or of Advent invites us into a deep journey with Christ. And we kind of have a choice of whether we slumber through the next 22 days or whether we choose at this moment here that we will wait, that we will watch and that we will stay awake and see what God might say to us in this. That we might actually begin to understand the full depths of what it meant for him to come as a child on earth, for his spirit to come and dwell with us and for him to come again in glory. Christ would say tonight, wait, watch, wake up. Why don't we close our eyes a moment?